0: Open up to John 12, so it's a new year, Um, so we figured it'd be wise to dive back into the Gospel of John. We took several months off um, after spending quite a great deal of time in John over, man, I don't even remember when we actually started John, but we were in John a lot and working up to where we are now, and uh, we're going to finish. So uh, we'll be in John, and it'll actually take us up perfectly through Easter, and then We'll finish a little after that and um, watch the rest of John's Gospel unfold. Um, we left off at the end of John 11, and, and there's actually part of the reason we broke it uh, broke it up where, the way we did is because there's a little bit of a span of time between uh, chapter 11 and 12, um, and, and chapter 12 is kind of the bridge between the first half of the book and the end, or what's kind of known as the Farewell Discourse, so really the last week of Jesus' life. Um, so we'll actually spend roughly the next four months looking at the last week of Jesus' life, uh, believe it or not. So um, seeing how the Gospel of John unfolds, the different details and, and stuff that took place um, during that time. And again, as I said, it'll lead us right up uh, it's a Good Friday and Easter um, at the end of April, or towards the end of April. So today, as we kind of look at um, John 12, starting in John 12, we're, we're going to see kind of three different responses to Jesus, um, and, and the main idea for the, our time together is this, that true God-honoring worship will always have its foes. So if you will, let's stand. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And I'm going to pray for us and our time together. And we will dive in. John 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus "'Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. "'Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment "'and made made from pure nard "'and anointed the feet of Jesus "'and wiped his feet with her hair. "'The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. "'But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, "'he who was about to betray him, said, "'Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii "'and given to the poor?' "'He said this, not because he cared for the poor,' But because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um, as we um, dive into this text this morning, God, we just ask that you would meet us with a word from your Spirit. God, you know each and every one of us here, and we know, according to your word, that Your word is more than sufficient enough to meet our needs. And so we come opening your word, trusting your word to change us. To transform our lives into the image of your son Jesus. And as we get back into this gospel of John, we pray that our faith would only grow stronger and that our lives would begin to reflect even more the glory of who you are. That our lives would not simply be Sunday morning Christian lives in this year, but that our lives would be radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus. That the word would become a vital part of our everyday. That prayer would be of the utmost importance to us. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word this morning. That as we work through dissecting the beautiful truths that are found here, that you would magnify yourself in our hearts, that we would be both challenged and encouraged by the truth of your word. We know that you have called us for a specific purpose here at New City. And we pray, God, that we would continue to grow deeper and deeper and deeper into the truths of your precious word. So that we would be the disciples you have called us to be. To live in the life that you have set us apart to live. All for the glory of God. Of your holy name. So we ask that you be with us for the rest of our time, that you expose the truths of your word in our hearts, and that we receive them graciously. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So again, true God honoring worship will always have its foes. The very first response that we're going to see in um, these 11 verses is sacrificial worship. Verse 1 again says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, six days before the Passover, and kind of doing a lot of... There, there's some different views on, on what day he actually came in. But more than likely, he would have come in on a Friday evening. Um. For a couple reasons, if he would have came in on Saturday, the Sabbath actually went from Friday evening into Saturday, so he would have missed part of the Sabbath. Um, but also, um, when you begin to look at all the things that were taking place around this time, there would not have been enough time for it all to occur if he would have come in on a Saturday. So crowds were gathering because of a few reasons. Um, Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and Jesus was coming. And so the the multiple caravans that would have seen and heard all of this taking place, they would have had to make their way into Bethany. And so more than likely, he would have come in on a Friday evening, um, and he would have spent time with these people that he loved dearly. So him and his disciples gathered with Lazarus and his family in the home of Simon the leper. Right, And so more than likely, Jesus is going to spend his very final Sabbath with some of the people he loved the most. And then we move into verse 2, and it says, So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Now, there's a few interesting things about what's taking place here. So, a lot of what we're going to hit in these next few moments is just going to be like facts, okay? So, so just kind of follow along on what's actually transpiring here, right? So, the first thing we need to see is actually back up in chapter 11, verse 57. Now, the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, Jesus, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Yet here we see in verse 2, So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. So the order had been given that if anyone sees Jesus, right? Because after raising Lazarus, um, there was kind of a little bit of an uproar about who Jesus was and people following Christ and and all of this stuff. So the the order had been given. If anybody sees him, it needs to be reported so that we can arrest him. What do they do? They throw a party. Right? So instead of turning him in, they throw a dinner. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, is that this dinner was more than likely um, had a couple different meanings behind it. It, it was obviously um, to, to just rejoice that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. It was to celebrate Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, giving thanks and worship to him, but also it's at the home of Simon, who Jesus had also healed from leprosy, so it has a, a lot there's a lot of things happening, and so they have this dinner um, and and according to custom, it was probably likely All men, so all Jesus and his disciples, Lazarus, and and probably some of their dearest friends. But um, there's no denying that Mary and Martha both played a key role in what is taking place here. Now you notice that it mentions that Martha served. Now you see this several times um, throughout the New Testament and the Gospels when it speaks of Martha. She was a servant. She was kind of like the mother of the home where she would bring people in. She would serve her guests. Um, she was extremely gracious. And, and Lazarus, who we know was a dear friend of Jesus, is reclining with Jesus at the table. And again, like I said, we were at some in the leper's home. So you see a lot of really um, interesting things all kind of coming together at this one point, um, really setting the stage of what would happen pretty soon. Then we move on to verse 3. It says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, this is kind of one of the main focal points of this section. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, does a few kind of out-of-the-box things here. She takes this jar or, or container of expensive women. It says it's made from pure nard. So in doing some research about this, it's extremely valuable. It, it was drawn from a spice that is only found in like one region of the world, um, in the Himalayas, so around Tibet and India. Now, Bethany is not necessarily close to that. So the, the, the amount of time it takes to go and process this spice and travel through that type of terrain, again, we have a couple of people who have been to Nepal, so you've been around that area, you know it's not easy terrain to just carry a bunch of spices, but you also notice that it's pure nard. So we're talking the best of the best. Now, it is very likely that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were pretty well-to-do, but that's not quite the point. It is a pound of pure nard, very valuable, very costly ointment that she brings and she opens and she begins to pour on the feet of Jesus. So picture this. Jesus sitting around the table with Lazarus and the other disciples' friends, and Mary just comes in, hair loosened, pours the ointment on Jesus' feet and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Why is she doing this? I think when you begin to look at this text, you kind of gather a few things. More than likely, she was simply doing it out of just worship and gratitude for what Jesus had done for them. He had brought their brother back to life, but he had also been a dear friend of theirs for his entire life, pretty much. And they had seen his work, they had heard his good news, they had seen the just greatness of Jesus. And she comes after he raises their brother, and she pours this extremely valuable, costly ointment on his feet, and she begins to rub it with her hair. So you have a lot of customs that are being broken here. One, because of the custom, it was probably all men, and she comes in, her hair is loosed, which is breaking a custom. She pours out this costly ointment, probably breaking another custom, and then she begins to rub his feet with her hair. Now, there's a really sacrificial element that you begin to see here, and we'll kind of unfold that, that she could care less of the customs. She's simply worshiping her Lord at this point. She's freely speaking now, again, it's it's not like America 2019, right? I mean, these are big issues that are just kind of ignored. They've ignored the command of the chief priests and the Pharisees to announce Jesus' arrival, and they're having a party instead. They're throwing a dinner, and she comes in, and she begins to just worship Him. Now, a lot of people will look and say, well, Matthew and Mark tell the same story, but they say, and so there's, they say she pours it on her head, so there's contradiction. Not really. A pound of this ointment would have went a very long way. So it's extremely likely it, she poured it over different parts of his body. And my guess is it's probably not what we think of pouring, where you go in like with a bucket and you just like douse it. You know, there's probably pouring and, and anointment and rubbing it in and that sort of thing. But the, the main thing is that, again, she just doesn't really care about the law at this point. She sees the extreme value and worth of their dear friend Jesus. She would have obviously known. Um, about the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And she would have heard the message of Jesus over and over and over and over again about Him being that very Messiah. And then she witnesses probably the greatest miracle that she could witness up to this point, and that's Jesus bringing her brother from death to life. Now, a lot of people doubt stuff like that. They doubt the miraculous. But when you look at Scripture and you see some of the intricate details that are there, it, it, sometimes it makes us wonder, well, why, why are those details there? So let's think about Lazarus, right? Lazarus dies. And word is sent that he's sick and that he potentially could die to Jesus. But if you remember, Jesus was not in a big hurry to get there, right? In fact, when he gets there, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Right? Custom. So again, another one of those big deals was that once somebody had been dead for around three days, that's when um, the decay really began to set in. So if somebody was in the grave at least three days, you knew that was a big deal. So after four days, there was no denying that Lazarus was truly dead, right? Jesus raises Lazarus to life. And and here you have this picture of Mary. So just if you're like me, I'm a visual person, so I try to picture these things. But just think, right? So you're in this room. More than likely it would have been a big table with type of a with a couch type thing reclining around it. So that's typically how this scene would have looked. Um and they would have been sitting around this table and having their conversations, doing, you know, whatever they were gonna do. Mary comes in and completely just kind of shatters the moment of the room. Everything changes. I mean, I'm sure there were some gasps that she came in with her hair loose. I mean, even with the disciples, right? I mean, you see that here in just a moment. But the beauty of what's taking place here. And the question kind of comes for us then, what does our worship look like? Is our worship sacrificial? What does it consist of? Because what's taking place here is extremely um, uncomfortable, and it pushes the mold quite greatly. Does our worship look like that? Is our worship sacrificial? Or is it simply convenient? I know a lot of times in my life I catch myself only on the convenient side. When I have time or when it's easy. When it doesn't interfere with something else that I want to do. But what we see here is a picture of what true worship looks like. Taking something so valuable and pouring it out. Breaking the law, so to speak, to worship the king. Does our worship look like that? You see this amazing element of sacrificial worship here. But that's the first response. The second response to Jesus is simply a selfish agenda. Look at verses 4-6. through six. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Mary, in the middle of this act of worship, is immediately attacked by Judas. Wait, why are you doing this? You could sell that bottle for 300 denarii, which is a lot of money for them. And you could give it to the poor. The point was not the the cost. The point was she was worshiping her Savior. She didn't care how much it cost. She didn't care if she was forfeiting something of great value to her. She didn't care if she was going to be punished, potentially, for her acts. All she cared about was Jesus. So you see a great difference between Mary and Judas. Mary is willing to lay everything out and sacrifice something of great value for her for the good of Jesus. Whereas Judas only wants it for himself. Basically what he's saying is, is You should sell this and put it in our money bag so we can give it out distribute it to the poor, which is his way of saying, I'm missing out on my cut because of your act. All Judas cared about was money, right? And this is evident. So out of the disciples, he became the one who carried the money bag, and I'm sure he was quite crafty in becoming that. I love dealing with this stuff. Let me handle it. I can take care of it. And he's probably snaking his way around this instance as well. So much so that more than likely the other disciples probably were right along with him. Why would you do this? Why would you waste what we could be using to... We have to be extremely careful in our lives. Judas would eventually betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I don't know the value between denarii and silver, but isn't it just ironic that he's constantly worried about money and then he sells Jesus for money. Which he eventually tries to give back. And they don't take it. And so he hangs himself. But For Christians, we must be extremely careful. right? We must be on guard so that nothing in our lives becomes more important than Jesus. And that's easier said than done, right? It's easy for us to sit here and say... Of course, nothing in our life is more important than the Lord. But it doesn't take us very long to just, if we're honest, to sit back and look at our life and, and to give a real reflection on that. Where's the majority of our time spent? Where's the majority of our money go? What are the things that we treasure? What harbors our attention? And I'm not saying this to just make everybody feel like terrible. Because if we're honest, we're all guilty of this. Especially in the world we live in. Everything's so fast-paced and we just get called up, right? But the point is is that we need to to be willing to step back and say is Jesus truly the object of my affection? Because if we are all honest, the answer is probably no. You know, at least at seasons of our life. You know, we we all have moments, right? It might be really good right now. It's the new year. We've probably all made like resolutions to like read the Bible more and do stuff. So we're probably like, you know, the best Christians ever at this point. But in another week or two, things will change and life will get back to normal and busy and we'll start ignoring our prayer time and selfishness will begin to creep back in and and really at the end of the day we're we're not doing anything much different than what we see Judas doing here. So the first response to Jesus that we see Mary taking place in is just sacrifice. Making sacrifices for the good of the Lord. And, and then you turn to Judas and Judas is just he's just worried about the money, right? He he doesn't care about the poor. It's just simply a front. Right? This is a man who was going to betray Jesus. He was a snake from the beginning. But notice what you see following in verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, this is an interesting rebuke, right? So again, imagine yourself sitting around this table, all of this unfolding. What would we think Jesus would respond with? Probably, leave her alone, she's worshiping me, or she's, what she's doing is a good thing. But, but the wording is really interesting, right? Leave her alone, she's doing something for the day of my burial, right? So he begins to unfold the true meaning behind Mary's actions. In her defense, she probably was simply just worshiping out of gratitude, right? Willing to give one of probably her most treasured possessions for the good of Christ. But there was something else happening here that she was probably not aware of. She would have known the truth that Jesus was going to die. I mean, he had told them time and time again at this point, right? But she probably didn't realize it was going to happen this week. (laughs) So she was just worshiping her Lord. But what actually begins to unfold is a foreshadowing of the burial of Jesus. And so he puts a spin on it that she's simply keeping this for the day of my burial. Because what he knew is that his time was coming. And so he made sure to remind them that the poor, you're you're always going to have the poor with you. That is at least until he returns, right? When he establishes the new heavens and the new earth and all pain and sorrow cease. But at this point, he's saying, you know, you're going to have the poor with you, but I'm not going to be here very long. Which probably came to quite a shock to those who were sitting around the table. Even though they had heard what he had been speaking, they they had a tendency to hear and not perceive, right? To hear and not quite understand. Which is kind of a reminder to us that we need to constantly be in the Word and listening to the voice of the Lord to, to be reminded what our purpose in life is. Likewise, we must remember that our purpose in this life is to follow and pursue the glory of the Lord and to not be swayed by sin's deception. Satan will do and does everything within his power to deceive us, to keep us from having a steady time of prayer, to keep us from reading the Word, to keep us so busy that we forget about the good things. Yeah. You know, I've had people ask me before, you know, why don't y'all do this or why don't you do that at at our church and it, it's not about how many things we can do, it's about what we do with what God has given us, right? And I think I know I'm saying that a lot, but One of the problems we do have in a lot of churches is we do so much with a good heart behind it that we actually become numb to why we're doing it because we try to put as many things on a calendar as we can. Instead of just rejoicing in the work that God has given us to do, we can become so busy doing the Lord's work that sometimes we don't even want to do it. That's happened in my life where I become so involved in so many things that I can't actually be present for any of them. right? That I can't actually give God the glory in what I'm doing because, to be quite honest, there are many of those moments that I don't even want to be there. And if we follow the Scripture's leading of what the early church looked like, a lot of what we refer to as church today would not quite pass the test but then also in our personal lives what are we doing right we do so much yet so little we we fill our days with so many things and and a lot of those things are necessary and i understand that we have to work right We have to work because we have to pay our bills and we have to have food on our table and we have to take care of our families. But is there a line where it becomes obsessive? Is there a line where it becomes God? Is there a point where it becomes everything to us? And and you might be saying, well, I'm not a workaholic. You don't have to be a workaholic. But if it consumes you enough to where we all of a sudden don't have time to open God's Word or we don't have time to gather or to even spend time in prayer then we've allowed other things to creep into our life and we have allowed Satan to do exactly what Satan wants to do. So when we say we should spend adequate time in prayer and we should spend time daily in the Word it's not To check off a box. And it's not to become legalist. It's because we desperately need that as the people of God. We we desperately need that time in the Word. Building that relationship. Right? I mean, husbands and wives, think about it. If you never spent any time together, you wouldn't have a very good marriage, would you? No. And so what you see is two quite contrasting things here. You see... Sacrificial worship in the first three verses. And then you see the selfish agenda following where Jesus rebukes them. And then you see this shrewd plot in verses 9-11. through 11. So when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So you had these great crowds gathering for a couple reasons. They had heard Lazarus was dead and he's not anymore. Jesus brought Lazarus out of the grave, alive. Jesus is preaching. Crowds are gathering. And the religious leaders had had enough. They wanted nothing to do with what was taking place. And they were willing to go at great lengths to end it. So much that the plot here is actually twofold. They wanted Jesus dead. But they were willing to kill Lazarus too because people were following and giving way to the name of Jesus because of what they had seen happen with Lazarus. They had become so enthralled in their positions of power and and the law. We talked about that some last week when we were looking at Galatians 3. That they were willing to go to any length, including murder, to protect their status, to protect what was theirs. It's probably a good picture of uh, a lot of what we see taking place in our culture today, right? We hold tightly to certain beliefs and damned be everyone else. We make a mockery of other people and we just soon see them dead. How different are we than what we see here when that takes place? We allow things that are not all that important to become supreme. But the truth is, is that when Jesus isn't the supreme object of our affection, something or someone else is. You want to find out what's supreme to people these days? There's a few tests. One of the easiest tests is just get on their social media account. What's the most important thing? Check bank accounts. See where their time's spent. Is Jesus all? Yeah, because Jesus gives a pretty stern warning through John much later when he's writing Revelation that he wants nothing to do with people who just kind of like mosey on along playing the game well. You either be hot or you're cold, right? There is no middle ground in following Christ. We either follow Christ or we don't. We're either truly surrendered to Christ or we're not. And I would say it's just as a waste of our time and our life if we're trying to ride that middle ground than it would be if we were completely objecting to Christ altogether. I mean, because ultimately at the end of the day, if we're honest, we're not fooling the Lord if we're walking that middle ground. We might have our family and our friends and, you know, those around us, our associates fooled, but God will not be mocked. And so we can continue to parade our careers and parade our affections for our sports and we can parade our affections for our political stances and we can do all of these things. But if they're not mirroring what we see in Scripture, they're not honoring God. No matter how much we think they do or don't. I mean, what do you see here? They hated Jesus because he was impeding on their power. And these were the religious leaders, folks. <laughs> this was the church. And what did they want? They wanted to put to death the things that were standing in their way. Now This isn't a one-time occurrence. This is all through history, right? It starts with Cain and Abel. Cain was mad because his brother received the attention that he didn't. He was mad that his brother's gift was received and his wasn't. So what did he do? He killed him. When we give way to the sinful nature within us, we're capable of of some pretty grotesque things. And maybe you don't care for history, that's, a, that's okay, but that doesn't mean it's not there. You can still look and you can see what happens when people are not affectionate for Jesus the way that scripture outlines. Because even to be fair, there's, there have been people that have done some pretty horrible things in the name of God throughout history as well. But what does the scripture reveal to us about our life, about who we are to be as disciples and followers of Jesus? What kind of response are we going to give to him? Are we going to sacrificially worship? Are we going to continue to be selfish in the way we live our life? Are we even going to plot against other people because of their beliefs and stances? So as we close, I want to point out two aspects of genuine worship. The first is that true genuine worship will be sacrificial. When God, Jesus, was calling his disciples, there were many of them that were called to leave their careers. Would we be willing to do that if God called us to do that? To leave our comforts, to leave our wants, to leave our desires. Would we be willing to do those things? That is a good test on whether or not Jesus is truly the object of our supreme affection. Would we be willing to sacrifice our finances? Would we be willing to sacrifice our time, our treasures? Listen to what we see in Philippians chapter 3. starting in verse 7. Paul writing to the church of Philippi. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not on what he was receiving, but just simply knowing Jesus. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. The most zealous. He had prominence. He had wealth. He had power. And he says, but whatever gain I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. True, genuine worship will be sacrificial. And true, genuine worship will also be met with great hostility. People hate the name of Jesus. People hate the name of Jesus. And when we stand boldly on the word of God and the name of Jesus is what is our banner, we will be attacked for it. Our work will be mocked. But remember what Paul just said. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for just the surpassing power of knowing Jesus. Was enough. He knew who he was, and he, and he now knows who he is because of what Christ has done. So, as we strain forward in life, pressing on, remember what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10 Whatever you eat, or whatever you drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Everything we do is for God's glory and God's glory alone. And remember, just as we saw in the last few weeks, that He will be with us to the very end. Let's pray. Our Father, may we be a people known for Our worship of you. Transformed by the gospel. Lives radically different than everyone else. Not getting called up in the popular news feeds and not getting called up in the, the next big thing, but just trusting in the name of Jesus and pressing forward for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and being known by Him. May we be willing to sacrifice our greatest treasures for the goodness of who you are. And may we not be swayed and deceived by all the many things that crave our attention and seek to pull us away from seeking you. And when the many foes arise as they will, let us stand firmly planted on the rock that will not and cannot be moved, the rock of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us trust in you greatly and surrender to you completely. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.